The message you are listening to is recorded by Campus Outreach for the 2019 Campus Outreach New Year's Conference. More information about Campus Outreach New Year's Conference can be found at conycnd.com. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and get started. Maybe some other people will wander in, but maybe, I mean, this is my 23rd New Year's Conference, 19th year on staff. 25th conference, 21st year on staff. I'm married up. Um, and of all the of all the talks that that I or we have ever given, we had more information for this one than, than any other. And and so trying to whittle it down has been the hardest process imaginable for us. And I, you know, unfortunately they scheduled us as the first seminar. So there's more. There's another seminar after this, and I really like Zach and Sheffy, and they're going to have good things to say about relationships. And I don't, I don't want you guys to be late for that. So that means we have a time crunch, and so we're trying to get as much as we can into this time, um, which is difficult. So you're at the right place if you're here for the Holy Sex. I'm Paul. I'm Sam. Thirteen. And what we tried to do was cover holy sexuality and holy sex. What is God's design for that? And then after we had about 50 pages of notes and planned a whole other conference just on that topic, we thought, we'll just keep this topic tonight, today, um, for this 45-minute window to holy sex. But I want to commend two different books that were really impactful for us. Um, one is called Holy Sexuality by Christopher Yuan, and the second is Gay Girl, Good God by Jackie Hill Perry. Both of them, very sorry. Some people have read some of those really powerful, really eloquent, really strong gospel, life-changing, tethered in the truth, and gives you hope to live in light of God's good plan in a world that says otherwise. So commending those books to you and wish we could spend more time with them. Yep. And, uh, and our goal here is we want to touch on some of the sexual brokenness that's in the world, but we don't want to spend a ton of time on that because there were a number of books and resources that I looked at, and when I checked out the reviews on Amazon, they would say things like, it's a good book, but it doesn't really give us a good plan or like what's next or where to now. And so we want to talk about God's design for sex, God's plan for sex, and try to um, give you a different story than what the culture is giving you. And along the way, what we're praying is that we maybe would sow a few seeds that would, that would grow into convictions in your life. Because uh, we will get to it, but... In the realm of sexuality, our culture just, just is going crazy. And to have a conviction in your own life. I mean, you, there may be things that you wish that we would talk about that we're not going to get to and, and because you're thinking about someone else. But can you fight to try to just think about your own life and convictions that might grow or be formed or be reshaped in your own life? in this time. And if there's things that you really want to talk about afterwards, like I said, I mean, we started with eight pages of notes and have whittled, 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 whittled down to four. So there's a lot of stuff we're not saying, and we would love to dialogue after this if you'd like to. Um, but, but in talking about something like this, uh, instead of having a cool clip or having a song, like maybe we could do, you know, salt and pepper, let's talk about sex and have someone come karaoke <laughs> like Tony did this morning. But we're not going to do that. Instead, we're going to have a, a real life story from someone. It's a guy on our staff team, Harmon Squire. So that's why this is real. Even so Har Harmon's going to share a little bit and then Sam and I will jump back in. So give it up for Harmon again.
might have been better if you did the salt and pepper, but we'll see. All right, uh, like Paul said, my name is Harmon Squires, and I've been on staff with Campus Outreach Minneapolis for three years. And um, I'm really excited to share with you guys some thoughts today on holy sexuality, especially as it relates to homosexuality. Um, but it could be applicable to all sexuality, um, even life as a whole. Uh, and the reason that I'm sharing is that part of the story that God is redeeming in my life is SSA, or same-sex attraction. And in my understanding of the Bible, I hold out that this is not a part of God's good plan. Um, and to help you understand SSA a little bit, in simple terms, it means that I, a man, uh, experience attraction towards or desire for other men, and this is my reality in life. Um, so what I'm sharing with you today has been helpful to myself and others and in our understanding of sexuality and our fight against sin. So I have four truths for you um, that are not my thoughts, um, but are biblical truths um, because my word says nothing, but God's word says, says everything. And it's for everyone in every situation, whether you consider yourself LGBTQ, uh, are dealing with heterosexual sin, or are just a person in general. So these are four things that I try to remember often in my struggle and wish that I knew earlier in my fight. Um, so the first one is we are not alone. Um, so just take a look around, see how many people are in this room. Everyone here has questions about sexuality and what it looks like to live a holy life in regards to that. So know that there are so many questions, so many people that are in the same situation that you are. And it doesn't matter if you are um, homo, if you identify as LGBTQ, if you are dealing, again, with uh, heterosexual sex or anything like that. Me dealing with SSA, a lot of times I feel alone. Um, and maybe you can relate to me uh, in that, and hopefully my story allows you to feel that you are not alone, that you're not on an island, but that there are other people with you. And ultimately, um, we're not alone because Jesus is with us. And if we are in Christ, we know that Jesus has suffered as we have suffered, and he has been tempted in every way that we have been tempted, yet without sin. Uh, so he relates to us in a way that no other person here on earth can relate to us, and he loves us in that. Um, my second point, or truth, is that our identity is ultimately in Christ. Um, so I was, I'm a little bit nervous even to be up here and to share that part of my story is same-sex attraction because I'm worried about how people are going to respond or what they're going to think of me. And I think that my kingdom is going to be brought down, um, but ultimately my identity is in Christ. And I have to consistently remind myself of that truth that doesn't matter what any of you think about me because God loves me and he's for me. Um, so what I want you to also know in that our identity is in Christ is that I don't want your action to become an adjective. So I don't want what you do or feel to become who you are. Just because I feel attraction towards or desire towards other men doesn't mean that I'm a gay Christian. Ultimately, I'm a child of God, and he says who I am. And I never want to let my feelings outweigh the truth of what God has said in his word about me and about us. So my question for you is, what are you putting your authority in? Are you putting it in what you think of yourself, what other people think of you, or are you putting it in the authority of scripture, which is ultimate truth and ultimate reality? Um, then my third truth is that God is a God of yes. 
so especially uh, with talking about same-sex attraction or homosexuality, a lot of people are like, no, you can't do that. That's not right. Um, but the reason for that is that God holds out something better. That no is because God has a better yes. Um, so Max Stiles talked about this um, on one of his talks. I can't remember exactly which one. But he said that, is there anything that you have found that hasn't over-promised and under-delivered? And in my life, um, homosexuality, same-sex attraction is that, that it over-promised that there would be people that could satisfy me in a way that they never could. Um, but the reality is, is that what God gives is not fleeting. It's never ending. And he always delivers on his promises, which are far greater than anything that the earth can give. The fourth truth is talking about how we can respond. So first of all, we're supposed to walk in the light. Uh, we are called in all of our sin to share with others, in all of our struggles, to walk in the light. And that's what it says in First John. So I want to encourage you to share and be open. And not just about sexual sin, but about any sin. Like if you're lying, if you're jealous, if you're envious, whatever it is. So take this step of faith to share. And I love that I have the opportunity to share right now. Because every time that you take that leap of faith, and reveal more of yourself, it's an opportunity for you to see more of the gospel. Because either people are gonna respond in the way that Jesus does with love and grace and mercy and you can tangibly feel that, or maybe people don't respond well and you remember that Jesus is all you really truly need and you run to him and you lean on him instead of the people around you. Another way to respond is when people are sharing with you. So if someone is walking in the light with you, um, we're supposed to respond with gentleness, humility, and love. So know that everyone around you is struggling, that we are all sinners, and you yourself are a sinner. So respond with humility, respond the way that you would want to be cared for, and even acknowledge the difficulty of people's situations and stories and the courage that it took for them to, sh to share with you. That's not an easy feat to reveal part of your life that you may be ashamed of. So know that there are people that struggle just as you do and respond to them well and even ask them questions to better understand their story so that you can better care for them and love on them. So those are my four truths that, uh, now I can help them. <laughs> you, uh, you are not alone, that our identity is in God, that God is a God of yes, and then we're supposed to respond by walking in the light and responding with love and humility and gentleness. And I just want to make a disclaimer that doing these things won't cure you um, of your sin. Like Jesus is the only one that has conquered sin, and he is the one that does that for you. Um, and doing these things, it's not a five-step process to uh, sanctification, but sanctification will happen. Um, that is a promise in the Bible that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. So know that mercies are new every morning, and what you give your attention to is what you become. So if you give more and more of your attention to Christ, you'll become more and more like Christ. That we won't be able to do these things perfectly. I myself, I'm on staff with the Christian ministry, and I don't do these things perfectly. No one ever will. Um, but truth is greater than what we feel, so never let your feelings outweigh the truth of the Bible. So that's what I have for you. Thanks for letting me share.
Um, and like I said, if, if there's something that we don't touch on that you want to talk to us about afterwards, feel free to do that. And I, I know Harmon really well, and he would say the same thing. Like if something about his story or what's happened in his life piques your interest, then come up here and talk to him afterwards because we, this is what we love to do is to engage on these things. A talk only does so much, but life on life, conversation and interaction is really powerful. So um, we're going we're gonna to jump in. And uh, now we're getting censored um, on, on this. If you can see it, it's not really all that clear. And, and the fact that I would even think to put that up there, it just tells you something about this topic at a Christian event. It's like, are you serious? Like, you, you went to what talk today? Like, what are you doing? Holy sex. Holy sex. Um, because Christians don't really talk about this, and we want to flip that script. Yeah. So I'll give you a quick outline of what we're doing. It's just three points. God created sex to be good. Sin twisted it. He redeems it, and there's hope. Those are the three points. And I'm going to start it with a quotation that I couldn't um, say any better from the book I just recommended, Jackie Hill Perry. Because even when Harmon says identity is something that starts, you start to question when you walk in the temptation that you face or the questions that you have. And it's not just the identity that you need to know about yourself. It starts with the identity of what you ascribe to God. So she says, it is the identity that we ascribe to God out of doubt or faith in his scriptures that will determine the identity we will give ourselves and ultimately the life that we will inevitably live. If he is creator, then we are created. If he is master, then we are servants. If he is loved, then we are loved. If he is omnipotent, then we are not as powerful as we think. If he is omniscient, then there is nowhere to hide. If he cannot lie, then his promises are all true. It is faith in the truths of God's character that has the power to completely revolutionize how our lives are lived out. And so that is what we hold out to you. And she says at the end, like, I want you to believe at the end of this, this her story. God is good. That's what we're asking you. We know you came to hear about holy sex, but we cannot get to holy sex without a God who is a good creator God who is the one who came up with it. Um, that is the, the first point. God created sex to be good. And when a good God created it, it was his idea. So it is important that for us as his creation to think, if I want to know the best way to understand this thing that he's created, it's to believe him. It's to trust that he is good and he is a holy God who came up with this thing and said, it is holy. Holy sex means set apart. It's something sacred. It's something to be part of worship to him in the context for which he created it, which is between a man and a wife and a covenant of marriage that says, till death do us part. That's what he created it to be in. And so as his image bearers, male and female, we are not just ghosts living in a temporary body that can experience this thing called sex. He created us in the garden to be embodied souls. So we have thoughts that impact our body, that impact our soul. What we do with this body that we're living in until he gives us the new and better one, it impacts our walk with the Lord. Because he created us in the garden to be embodied souls, and in that context he created sex to be experienced between a man and a woman in that covenant of marriage. So you see a glimpse of that in scripture. It'd be hard to cover all of it, but like Paul said, we had pages. Um, so I'll just give you one little um, idea to help you understand that God created sex to be a whole person experience for good when it's experienced body, soul, mind. 
because the word in the Old Testament that was used for uh, two people having sex is that they would know one another. What does knowing something have to do with sexual intimacy in the most vulnerable way that two people can come together? Well, God says that is. There's a level of known and knowing that he created it to be because as embodied souls, this is something that is supposed to be a part of worshiping for him. Um, <laughs> the great green. <laughs> and, and we happen to know who it is. <laughs> Don't um, tell him where you are right now. <laughs> so I, again, we had a ton of possibilities to speak to verses that would remind us of these things because God created sex for embodied souls made in his image to be good in the context of marriage. But I would just say this. If you have not read through your whole Bible or if you have little cousins or kids that you babysat or nanny before and thought, I could just read any of the Bible with them. Just think twice before you think about reading through Proverbs 5, 5, 18 through 19. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Yeah, that's not in the Jesus Storybook Bible. <laughs> there are things. We've got Psalm 139 that you are... God formed your inward parts, knitted you together, and that verse ends, my soul knows it well. My soul knows what is true about my body created in the image of God. Soul, body, mind, and body together. Proverbs that I just read, that's a verse that I need to have the sex talk with my girls before we're going over that verse. Song of songs, one through two through four. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine, your anointing oils are fragrant, your name is oil poured out. Therefore virgins love you, draw me after you, let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. God wrote about sex in his word and it is spicy. Holy sex is spicy because he created it that way. Uh, and on that note, I mean, we, we actually would uh, be ready to read these verses with our daughters. We have an 11-year-old and a 9-year-old, and we have had these talks with our 11 and 9-year-old because we want the first person that would engage them about sex to be their mom and their dad, and not like it was for me. It was I was in the, the fourth grade, and it was my fifth grade uh, neighbor who kind of started talking to me about all this, and, and do you think that he was an expert on this topic and could tell me the beauty of God's design and the intricacies of sex? No, no, he, he could not. Despite what he may have thought, that was not the case. Um, so we, we put these up here because we want you to hear loud and clear that God came up with sex. He designed it. He made it. It is a beautiful thing. It is a good thing. Christians should proclaim that. And, and celebrate that and talk about that. And for some reason, Christians haven't. Like it's been this prudish thing and we need to be quiet about it or, or be careful how we talk about it when that's not how God set it up. I and mean, God is saying it loud and clear in his truth. And so we should too. And so remember that. Write home about that. Like think about that. It is a good, right, beautiful, holy thing. Um, and because it's such a good and beautiful thing, when the fall happens and it is twisted, it is terrible. Um, there's a, a, a quote that I love by C.S. Lewis where he says, there is but one good and that is God. Everything else is good when it looks to him and bad when it turns from him. 
And the higher and mightier it is in the natural order, the more demonic it will feel if it rebels. It's not out of bad mice or bad, bad fleas you make demons, but out of bad archangels. And if, if it takes fallen angels to make demons, so these highest things, these great goods, when they fall, become these terrible evils, sex, that is so beautiful and so right and so powerful and so lovely and so much of his design, when it is twisted, it is devastating. And the devastation of, of what sin has done to sex in our lives, in our experiences, in our world is a terrible, terrible thing. Um, and like I said, we're, we're, not, we're not taught this, uh, the, the, the good, because we just kind of experience the bad because it's everywhere. Like the, the desensitization of, is that the right word? Yeah, yeah. the desensitization of, of sex, like you're desensitized. You see it everywhere. Like I've been um, like kind of scared at times watching football games on Sunday afternoon because some of the commercials that come up or like the previews for TV shows that will happen. And my girls just know when there's a commercial, they're always like, is it okay to watch this? Is this one good? Is this okay? And usually I'm like, no, actually, probably not. Probably not. Because it just comes again and again and again. Were you going to say something? Yeah, and the reason that we're saying that is because even though, like we said, God designs holy sex to be an amazing, worshipful, powerful thing, the fall, the sin twisted it. And even though the majority of people in this room are not married, you're being impacted by the false narrative that culture is screaming at you, inundating with you. And I was talking to someone about this last night, and she said, it is like we're in the airport and we're on the escalator, the flat one that keeps moving forward. And even if you're not moving, you are being moved by the cultural narrative. That happens in all kinds of contexts, all kinds of topics. If you do not know what God says is good, the culture is inundating you with ideas of what it says is good. So we don't have to go to the forbidden tree to hear the Satan, the serpent speaking to us. It is all around, so that's why it's so important that we are going to God's truth to measure it against what we're hearing. So even before you are able to experience the context of marriage and the design that God created sex to be in all of its goodness there, what you believe now about God, I mean, Jackie Hill Perry, what you believe about the identity of God, Harmon tells you about your identity in spite of your temptations and struggles, which tells you about what God created sex to be and that impacts you before you get to marriage and there's work to be done because if you're standing still in the airport you are way past your gate unless you are turning the other way and walking better running in the opposite direction to redeem what God says is true about it so that's why in a context with a lot of not married people we know in case you're thinking I don't know I don't know if it is impacting me though I would guess that a lot of you are very aware that it has um, we have got to be doing a work against the stream, countercultural. And, and I'm not trying to make any kind of a statement about some of these examples, but just to say, like um, the show Jack Ryan or Man in the High Castle, I mean, everyone knows that there's a lot of sexualization in Game of Thrones or other things like that, that our culture is kind of putting out there all the time. And I say desensitization because it's always coming at you, so you just eventually kind of become numb to all the sex that you're seeing around you and the messages that are being communicated or the normalization of things like the Fifty Shades of Grey trilogy 
and the way that it has normalized violent sexual activity to where people are just reading that because it's supposedly a good story or it's, it's, it's romantic. That that would be considered romantic is a way that the culture has normalized things that should not be normalized, but it's just happening whether you know it or not. Commercials, TV shows, magazines, standing in line, checking out for your groceries. There's some magazines there and they are telling you things all the time and you've gotta be ready for that. And not only that, but I, as we were doing this, I read this book and it kind of talked about all these thinkers and some things that they believed. And like Freud, what he said like in the, in the 30s or 40s was that sex only in marriage is weak. Like it's weakness to define it only there. Uh, Margaret Sanger, who, who founded Planned Parenthood said, sexual liber liberation is the only way to know peace. Um, Albert Kinsey said that love is love and sex is sex with whoever or whatever you want to, it doesn't matter. Um, Paul Michael Foucault is a philosopher and he said that sex is more important than your soul. Like these, and, but you think about, you like take a step back and think about our culture and it's like, is that We didn't not, know we were getting discipled by them. Like that, that is what has set the table for what our, our nation thinks about sexuality, all of those things. And it's, it's things that were said years and years and years ago that are influencing what we think about it. And that leads to, in the, in the fall, um, all of these stats. I'm going to click it so I don't have to keep bending over to click it. But just in 2016, 60% of high schoolers had engaged in some type of sexual activity, up 30% from 1996, so it's doubled. It was 30% 20 years ago, it's doubled. So what that means is over half of this room has experienced sexual activity on some level already. And, and that was 2016, so maybe now, I mean, we're three years down the road, so maybe it's even more than that. Um, so you might be like, well, that's the culture, but like there's some people from Christian schools that are here at our conference, and like Christian <laughs> schools aren't like that, right? Like we, we are. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when I make you laugh. So, so this, is the, this is the Christian Mingle survey, you know? Like, 61% of, of people who are filling out Christian Mingle would have sex even if, if they weren't in love. And 23% of those need to be in love, but only 11% said that they would only have sex in marriage. So... It just means that the sacred, holy place that God has designed sex for, most people don't really care about. It's not, it's not that big of a deal. Um, porn sites have more traffic than Netflix, Amazon, Twitter combined. Like Twitter combined. Like think about that. Um, it, it's just, it's, uh, it is a devastating thing. So this is where... This is why we have a, an optional seminar on holy sex, because when you look at all of that, not to mention what Paul and I have already weeped and cried over that one in four college women before they graduate will have been a victim of sexual assault. Back to the garden. Something God created to be beautiful, powerful, worshipful, amazing, has been twisted and used to harm. It is wrong it is sad and all of these are interconnected all of these are interconnected i couldn't even but i have to say it because before the age of 18 one in four girls and one in six boys will be sexually abused we've got to go back to what god designed it to be to redeem as a church 
protecting people from the narratives of the culture that are leaving victims, men and women, who are having this glorious thing that God created for good used against them to tear at their souls, to tear at their souls and to make them question, am I valuable? What am I worth? God says you're holy. I created you to be set apart by a holy God. You're mine and you're worthy of being redeemed and set apart and protected as holy. And so that means that your individual stories and struggles are so complex and complicated. Because some of the, like the fact that 64 Americans would watch porn once a week, it, it, it may stem from the fact of something that happened to you that was totally outside of your control when you were three. Um, and and the, that 54% that of men and 26% of women masturbate weekly. Like, there are so many reasons for that and so many realities that go into the stories. And so don't just hear us say that if you're struggling, that's bad, like you're bad, shame on you. Because it's, it's more complex than that. And so the, the church has got to talk about this. We've got to talk, like Harmon said, you're not alone. I mean, statistically, you're all in this together. Um, and, and so unless we write a new story, unless we talk about this, unless we don't just hold up the terrible statistics, but God's beautiful plan and his beautiful design, then these are just going to get worse and nothing's going to happen um, because these realities lead to, um, it leads to callousness, just being hardened. Proverbs 30, 20 says, this is the way of an adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wrong. And so as you hear these stats or the things we're talking about, maybe you're in here and you're kind of like, well, yeah, I do that, but I don't think that's that big of a deal. Like, it's, who really cares if I'm looking at this? It's not really affecting me or other people. I just want to hold out that maybe you're, you're more hardened than you think. Like, Tony, when he was talking this morning, he was like, I was, you know, for me, it, was, it wasn't drinking one night. It was having sex. And I, he said, I knew it was wrong. Like, I knew deep down, even though he had the list of, of the things he wanted to accomplish in that realm, he knew deep down something wasn't right about that. And so if you're numb and callous, that's not good. Um, but it also leads to shame. Ezekiel 36, 31 says, you will remember your evil ways. And, and maybe I'll just stop there for just a second and say, some of you right now, you, you don't love coming to a conference like this or hearing a talk like this because it's just a reminder and you feel dirty. You feel ashamed. You don't feel like God could redeem this in your life. You think you're damaged goods that because of what you've dealt with, the hope of a happy marriage or a good sex life, like that, that's beyond you, that that can't happen because you've traded it in. That is not God's economy. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing. But what he says is you'll remember your ways, your evil deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. But thankfully, it doesn't stop there. Because then he says, thus says the Lord, on the day I cleanse you, on that day I will cleanse you from all your iniquities. And so there is hope, there is redemption for this. We're going there. And then lastly, maybe you feel despair. Because like Sin mentioned, Psalm 9-9, the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And maybe you've experienced some of that sexual assault or um, abuse in your life from 
someone that you, from a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a parent or a neighbor or who knows. And so it's not, it's not simply like either you're hardened or you're ashamed. It might be God's heart for the weak and the vulnerable is incredible. And, and I just don't know any other source of, of hope other than Christianity that's going to engage you in that. And so we're so glad you're here if that's the case. Um, do you want to mention this or you want me to say something? You got it. Um, I mean, Sam kind of talked about this. One of the things that has led, that, that all of this brokenness leads to, is that we separate our, our bodies from our souls. And so um, what you do with your body, hooking up with someone, looking at porn and masturbating, whatever that might be, that's just your body, but it doesn't really affect the, the deeper parts of you, like who you are on the inside is what matters. And so in the hookup culture, what that leads to or, or on Tinder or whatever is you might go out and have this sexual encounter, but that's just your body. You don't really know them. Like it doesn't really mean anything. And so you start to close off your heart and, and, and like put up boxes and walls around your heart because you separate the two. When God has designed you to be body and soul together, um, there, there was a movie, this, this is not my recommendation to go see the movie, um, but it was Vanilla Sky. It came out like in the 90s and it's, it's, it's got a lot, talk about desensitization of sex is in that movie. But there's this incredible quote that I, I thought about it only because it was in a few other books scientifically said. In the book, this, this actress is in a sexual relationship with the actor and she says to him in anger like, you don't understand that when you have sex with a person, your body makes a promise whether you know it or not. And research is showing that. Like we're designed for it to not just be a physical encounter, but it's wiring things in our brains. It's doing things in our souls. And you're, you're supposed to be a whole person, body and soul. Sex is supposed to be in the context of marriage for body and soul, whole life commitment. But we separate that out. And, and this is such a... Uh, uh, epidemic reality of separating these two. It goes beyond just hooking up and that kind of sex. It goes into all other things, whether that is same-sex attraction, whether that is gender dysphoria. All these things are, are separating the two that who you are on the inside, the personality, the, the mental and emotional stuff is very distinct from how God has made you as an embodied soul. And so think about this. Uh, take it to heart. So is that God created, designed, and really sucked to be a beautiful, worshipful thing. Sin twisted the heck out of it. And then thirdly, but there is hope that we would return to that glorious picture of what God created to be. Because believing God and his identity, believing him and his good plan, a good plan coming from a good God, holy sex coming from a holy God, can be wholly redeemed. I mean, in both sense, that we can have a a holy, sacred understanding that both repairs and restores and redeems what has been broken or lost, either because of the culture, because the sin that has been committed against us, or because of the sins that we've committed ourselves, and we have not walked in light of God's good plan. And so I'm going to read, um, reread the sentence that I read at the end from Jackie Hill Perry. If he cannot lie, it's believing this, that we get moved back toward the restoration of holy sex. If he cannot lie, then his promises are all true. It is faith in the truths of God's character that has the power to completely revolutionize how our lives are lived out. And that is not just true for those who have walked in purity from childhood. 
who have been unscathed by the sins of others. That is true for every son and daughter of the king. So when you're invited into his kingdom, it's a kingdom of this kind of hopefulness. So that we look at the world and see the way that they say sex is an appetite or something to avoid, which the church has been guilty of, of promoting. We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to say anything about it. We're going to avoid it. Or to deify it or degrade it, that it is dirty. That we look as children of Christ, that we have a Father in heaven, a kingdom. We are kingdom participants. And we would say there is a better way. It's a holy way to view this. And so 1 Corinthians 6, 13, food is meant for the stomach. This is a Corinthian saying. Food is for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy both one and the other. But the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So part of our move toward redemption is remembering that this broken body, embodied soul, was created by and for my good God who gets to tell me how he wants me to take care of it, how he wants me to protect it, how he wants me to redeem it. And I think that so often it can be very clear that sexual sin um, done or received can often be damaging to women because they are, the, they are often the marginalized or the overpowered. That's why those stats reflect that. But what we know is that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, I want you to finish this. God says the sexually immoral person, so those who are experiencing unholy sex, the sexually immoral person sins against or does evil against what? Against God? Sure. I mean, if he's got a good plan and we're not doing it, then we're sinning against him. The sexually immoral person sins against his own body. His own body. So when we walk outside of this holy plan, brothers, you're hurting your body. It's not just something that you did. You're damaging the vessel that God says, that's my temple. It's holy. It's sacred. It does not just hurt the women who are overpowered or receive or walk in sin. It is painful, hurtful, harmful. You're doing evil to your own vessel. This is God's design. So understanding that, believing of it, gives us hope to say, I want to trust him for how he created me to live in this body that he says is his temple and his dwelling place. He will repair it. He will restore it. It is his. I'm not my own. And, and one reason to put this verse up here is because when Paul speaking to the Corinthian church, there was, this was one end of the spectrum of a prevailing mentality about sex, is that it's just like any other appetite. It's just like hunger. Like if ever you, if, if you feel this, this urge, this desire, you should take care of it. Food's meant for the stomach, stomach for food. You want to have sex, you should go have sex. And that, does that sound familiar? Like, is that not the world that we live in right now? Like, if, if you want to go do it, like, go do it. You do you. Like, go have your way with it. And that, Paul is speaking against that. Like, that is one, one ditch that you can fall into. But like Sam was saying, the other one in 1 Corinthians 7 is, is this is what they said to Paul. That he, they wrote that it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So it's like either it's like an appetite and you just have sex or do sexual things whenever you want to or like avoid it. It's not good. You, 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 should not, you shouldn't even go there. Uh, be celibate for the rest of your life. Like be a, be a monk, be a nun, go to a monastery, separate yourself. And so when Paul speaks into this, into the Corinthian church, he's saying this is not how God designed it. 
And God did not design it like this either. There, there is something so much better than, than what the culture would want to hold out. This is not the right page. Um, and what's also wild about this context is that the men in the Corinthian church, they would have their wife. And, and their wife was to bear them legitimate sons. Because if you don't have like a legitimate heir, that's, that's not a good thing. But then they would have a mistress. And the mistress is who you have sex with. Then there's like, um, the, the next one is the, the one who manages the house. Then there's the concubine. And so the men in this context were having multiple uh, women that they were having these encounters with. And so when Paul says, sex is only in marriage, like your wife is supposed to be all of these. He's holding up something that's radically different, that's completely other than what the culture was saying. And just like, I mean, this is 1 Corinthians. It's like A.D. 70. And it's amazing how similar it is to this day and age because they're husbands and they have their wife who helps them look respectable, but then maybe they're having an affair or maybe they're addicted to pornography or, you know, just it could go on and on of the different ways that people are, are finding this outlet for sexuality. And we're saying stuff to the men, but the reason we put up the stats about women is because it used to be that at conferences like this, we would have like a men's breakout and talk to the men about sexual purity. We didn't talk to the women about that because that's just what the men deal with. But that is not true. We should have talked about that even then because the whole time, both men and women are struggling in these ways. And the messages that our culture is sending are destructive to both men and to women in different ways. And so we've got to redeem it. And so that's why when Paul comes in and he talks about sex is only to be in the context of marriage, in the context of a covenant, that means something. You want to say this thing? Yeah. Oh, one, one more thing. I put this up there because it makes us sound a little bit more um, learned and sophisticated and intellectual mm -hmm. when you refer to the Greek. Um, so when it talks about sexual immorality all through here, the word in the Greek is porneia, and that maybe sounds familiar because that's where we get the word pornography. And what that means is anything sexual outside of marriage. Because when I was growing up in high school, I thought as long as I'm not having sexual intercourse, I am good to go. Mm -hmm. So if it's doing anything else with a girl, that's totally fine mm -hmm. because I'm not going all the way and that's what's bad. Mm -hmm. I know I'm not supposed to do that, but anything short of that line is okay. But that's not how the Bible talks about it. The Bible says any of anything sexual, anything like if, if I... Don't, I want to be careful with this one. What I was going to say is if someone else couldn't do it with my wife, then, then you should, like, th then it's outside of the bounds. Like, there are certain things that are reserved. But then I thought, well, I don't want a guy, like, All right. giving my wife a hug or holding her hand. So that, that, when you're dating, that's different. But the point is, is that we, we want to, to try to figure out, well, how sexual can I be with my boyfriend or girlfriend before it becomes a bad thing? And I don't think that's a good question to ask because it's like, how close do I get to this uh, microphone or this music stand to touch it without actually touching it? Um, and what we are called to do is to pursue purity, to pursue holiness. And we call it holy sex or holy sex or however you want to use the exclamation point at the end of our title because we want it to be set apart. And, and there's a design that God has for that in marriage that is, that is beautiful. Because 
God designed it to be wholly set apart, which means that there's an integrity to it, that everything that we just talked about and everything sexual, that people would say, that's fine, because it's going right up to that line, is losing the idea and the heart of what God created it to be. Which, when he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, are you tired? Come to me, and part of that is in believing what he is saying about the integrity of sex, which is it is not a consumeristic thing that was created to rate or um, give a score to the performance or the person behind it on the other side. That's exhausting, and it's wrong, because you're talking about an image bear created in his image that he is calling a son or daughter or could be calling a son or daughter. But what he created to be the integrity of is that it would be experienced in a covenant where there is no performance. There is giving and commitment until death do his part and vulnerability and weakness that says, I'm with you all the way, all the time. And it doesn't matter how you feel about how that went because we are in this together, one team. And so the integrity of what God created sexual intimacy to be is a lifetime partnership, not a consumer relationship where you might change your mind depending on how I look today, how I feel today, or how well that went. It is a covenant relationship, not just a need that needs to be taken care of, not a feeling that just happens. It's a commitment. Yeah, you can see them up here. Like with a, con with a consumer mentality, you have a need, you go out and meet the need. You love the feeling, it's taking, it's not giving. You, in that, you hold on to your independence. Like you might go do this with this person, but then no strings attached, friends of benefits, just do whatever you want to do. You, and, and what you're really saying in that is that you need to conform to meet my needs. And, and that is the prevailing mentality about sexuality on the college campus. And what, I, what we want to hold out to you is, would you consider being different? Would you ask God to, to change your experience and maybe your conviction here to, to think more of this covenant? That it's a whole life promise and that sex becomes kind of the external sign of that promise. That, that it's like, a, 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 like my wedding ring. Like I wear this because it signifies that I am married to Sam and that sex between us is something that, that communicates the covenant that we've made, the oneness that we've made. That's why we say a whole body commitment with whole life commitment. Like if he is not ready, ladies, to commit to you with all of his emotions or uh, his money or out in, in like social settings, then don't do anything for him physically, sexually like that. And guys, same thing. Like, that's why it's so beautiful with marriage. It's because everything about your life and your body and, and your, your, your person, your, like Tony was saying today, your Facebook status, your budget, your time, they meet your parents. Like you have invited them into all of your life, your brokenness, your shame, your hurts and whatnot. And then when they know it all, sex becomes incredible. Because it, it's not just separated. It's not just your body separated from your soul but it's soul and body together. And that's how God has made it to be. And at the end of that, what you're saying is, I, not you conform to meet my needs, I conform to meet your needs. It's a, it's a giving thing. There's this quote, it's long, but it is, it is lovely. Um, it says, it's by this, this guy, John White. He says, immediate erotic thrill is the most superficial benefit of the sex act. The bodily exposure that arouses and accompanies it can be both profoundly symbolic and powerfully healing. 
It is the healing concrete sign of what is happening in the whole relationship. So like whole, whole life commitment. The uncovering of our inner selves, our deepest fears and yearnings. As I look tenderly on the body of another, and as I experience what it is to feel the tenderness of another's caress, then the one who accepts and touches my most intimate body and caresses it with tenderness, caresses also my inmost being. So it only makes sense that sexual relations be confined to marriage. For mutual disclosure and tender acceptance is not the activity of a moment, but the delicate fabric of a lifetime's weaving. Each time sex springs from casual encounter, physical disclosure, and thoughtless touching, some of its life-giving and healing nature is destroyed. Like the thought that sex is something that is redeeming your life, healing your soul, powerfully like cementing the bond that you have with another person and not just this casual random thing that's happening with, a, with I mean, a person or a screen or your own imagination. Like those things are just ripping, ripping apart what God designed sex to be and the hope that's surrounding him. Um, so lastly, in, in terms of, of redemption, you're in here, and like we've said, some of you have been sinned against. Um, there's been incredible sin done to you by someone you trusted where you've been taken advantage of sexually. And so we, we want you to hear this. But, but then we're sinners. I mean, the, the, the things that you do, even if you've had brokenness, it, you still need to get help and find healing from the sin that maybe you still deal with. Sexual temptation is a universal temptation. So we're all centered there. So in, in light of all the Corinthians verses, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, there's that word again, all kinds of sex outside of marriage, idolaters, adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor violers, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And I love this, but such were some of you. But you were washed sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. So what this verse says is for any kind of sexual sin, struggle, brokenness, past, whatnot, that the gospel is offering redemption and freedom and hope and healing. And that's what we want to hold out to you. Um, yep. Um, one more verse. <clears throat> Psalm 23 is like the one that we all have memorized. The name of the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. But then think, he restores my soul. That is the kind of, of redemption that we want for you with regards to sexuality, is that God would restore your souls. So a few practicals to kind of land on. Um, just like, uh, why don't, why don't we ping pong these. Sure. Um, the first practical is that, especially if you have questions about it, talk with someone who has a holy view of sex. Um, and one of those could be surprising. There is a friend of mine, newer friend. She's a single mom at our church who is also a student, so she's at our conference. We were talking at the Incrediplex, and she said, Sam, I want so much to share with the youth in the church what my unholy view of sex and my walk with God, what that looked like has impacted me and how I'm redeeming that and wanting to live in light of it now, even as a single mom. Um, that's so important that even for her, she has some things to share with me, um, to share with us about what she's learned about the 
beauty and the redemption of her view of holy sexuality, holy sex. So that doesn't mean like when you walk out of here to talk to the person who's in the same queen-sized bed with you this weekend, like, hey, what do you think about that? Um, <laughs> and now that, that, that's an okay question to ask, but, no, 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 no. but talk to someone uh, maybe who's, who's married, maybe who isn't struggling with whatever it is you're struggling with. Like sometimes Bible studies or accountability groups can be like, man, I, I fell again this week. It's like, man, dude, I did too. It's like, oh, wow, you know, I did too. And then everyone kind of feels like warm and fuzzy because we've all been sinning. Um, you need someone in there who's like, really? What's you people doing? Like, like, we need to fight together. So you need someone like that in your life who is going to be able to speak truth into your life. So get someone like that that you can talk to. Um, consider taking a radical step to help. The Bible says if your right hand causes you to sin, what do you do? Cut it off. I mean, if your right eye causes you to sin, what do you do? Like, that is some serious stuff. And, and That's I'll, so I, awkward when you're walking around with yeah, eye. Yeah, yeah. Like, what happened? It's like, what happened to you yesterday? Man, you, want, you don't want to hear this story. <laughs> but how many of you would consider trading, trading this in? For, for just a little flip phone um, or a phone that can't text. Like th there, there's a level to which if, if I'm talking with a guy and he's struggling with looking at stuff on his phone and he's like, I just want freedom from this. I'm like, well, hey, let's go, let's go trade in your phone. And he's like, oh, no, I mean, I don't, I'm, I'll be all right. I don't, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I, I just think, well, come back to me when you're ready. Come back to me when you're ready to fight. Because it takes something like that. Because the scary statistic is it takes 90 days of abstinence to begin rewiring the brain. 90 days. So I don't want to, to like, to diss on anyone's. Like, if you're here and it's been like, I've made it this whole week. It's been the first week in a long time that I've made it without looking at anything or, or calling this person. Like, it might not be simply that you need to get rid of your phone. It might be that you need to delete a number or two, um, that you need to tell someone about... It's not like there, there, are, there are friends that we have had that have had affairs, and it has been devastating. And if you searched their phone and the numbers they called, you would have never known because they used Boxer or they used WhatsApp or they used, um, I mean, you, you, I, I'm 42 years old. I don't even know what some of these things are nowadays. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. You know what the temptation might be. Can you lay that down? Can you get rid of that? Can you stop watching a show or, or reading a certain kind of book because it's affecting you and, and, and you need to like get rid of it because it will bring about the opportunity for healing and change. But we don't, we don't want to do something like that, something radical. And I can't make you do anything radical. There's no talk, no book I can put in your hands that will change that. The Holy Spirit has to convict you. But would you, would you maybe pray, God, do something radical, like help me, help me know what that is. And maybe it's what the person in point one that you talk to who's mature says, you know, I think you should do this and listen to them. And so our plea in all of this is just reiterating what God's word says when he says, what do we do? All this sexual temptation all over the place, all the time, at our fingertips, where nobody else can see it, what do we, what do, we do with it? The God, the good God that designed sex says, I'll tell you what to do with sexual temptation. Flee. Be extreme. 
do that, be radical, be countercultural, because you're always getting inundated with something that is telling a false narrative that doesn't just twist what I say it does, it opposes me, and it opposes you. It's not just bad, don't do it, it's not good. It doesn't bring fruitfulness, it doesn't bring freedom, it's not who you were created to be, and there is better, but it takes radical, not by yourself, with the body of Christ, Holy Spirit in you, helping you pursue a better, hard, radical, beautiful pursuit of holiness. And that's why I would say, and I, um, there are things now that I um, don't watch that I would have watched before. Um, I, we have a fourth grade teacher. She's in my discipleship group. She lives with us, and she and I were watching a couple of Netflix shows. And I, I could tell when, although when they do that quick screen change, and I'm like, oh, we're in the bed, we're naked. Okay, can't do that. Um, there are things in marriage, though I know what holy sex is experientially, but I am still having to guard me from things that I know that I would have been okay to watch in college because I didn't know better, the desensitization and the normalization that is impacting you um, is impacting you. And I, so we were watching and then it started moving there and I was like, I don't know what your convictions are, friend, because we haven't talked about them, but I closed the screen, I t muted and turned it around. I'm like, we're just gonna have to wait 20 seconds because I don't want those images in my head. They don't, they come back. Reading my aunt's pornographic romance novels. I have narratives in my head that make me sick and I can't get them out. They're there and they weren't even pictures, they were stories. And they impact me and they impact my relationship with God and my relationship with my husband. They impact me when I was single. Fight the good fight. I don't feel shame, I feel sorrow. I feel sorrow, I feel grief and he will redeem it. And when I have my new body and the new earth and the new heavens, won't even have those in my head, but he'll have to wipe it out because it's there, and you're still getting that all the time. We're sitting in the lobby with Harmon, over, going over this talk to pray, and this TV show of, what are they called, the soap operas. There's a soap opera, and I'm like, I don't hear what they're saying, but I see what is happening, and it's sexual, and it's right here where my kids are coming in and eating snacks and breakfast, and it's just being inundated them. So what do we do? Not despair. We fight. We fight and we ask him for help. It's it's almost three thirty okay. and Zach Zach and Sheffield have killed me and Sam. Like I said, we had eight pages and I, I wish we had another another two hours. So let me pray real quick. God, mm -hmm. you know what these people need. You know what will change them. No talk ever changes us. Maybe a sentence changes us. Because that's all it takes for your spirit to grab hold and to do a work. So do a work, pr produce men and women who experience the beauty of holy sex for the rest of their lives. And for this season, help them to wait and trust you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go, go, go to your, go to your thing. Run. Skip. Go. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at conyc.com.